We're in Philippians chapter 3. Let's pick it up, get a running start, picking it up in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That is, not only do I consider everything lost before I was born again, but I continue to count all things lost, even since then. That would include this last week. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, we covered all that on Sunday and looked at that a little more closely. But I do want to point one thing out, and that is in verse 11, where Paul says, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, I explained on Sunday that word attained to, or attained to, is arrive at. It just means arrival. I want to know him so I can arrive on time. I want to know Him so that at the time of His coming, I'm there, man. I'm arriving. So it's not that He's uh, doing something to get there. No, it's by knowing Him that He arrives. And that's what Paul is saying. However, even understanding that word, meaning arrive or arrival, verse 11 has been difficult for some people. Especially if you read it in the King James translation, which, by the way, in this case is an actually better translation. Let me read it to you. Philippians 3.11 says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. I want to know Christ, Paul says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I hear that, I read that, and I think, wait a minute, if by any means, if... You know, I think of the, the father of the, of the demon-possessed son who said to Jesus, if you can help us, please. And Jesus said, if? All things are possible to those who believe. If, it seems like it introduces doubt. But Paul is saying, I want to know him if perchance, if possibly. And in fact, the word he uses, it's squished together as one word. It's actually just two words. It's ipos in the Greek, and it's a conditional conjunctive. So it's a connecting word, but it is conditional. He uses the same phrase in Romans 1.10, saying, always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps, now at the last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you at Rome. I want to do this. I'm praying for it, if perhaps it might happen. So that introduces a little bit of doubt. Romans 11.14, Paul says, If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. So I'm doing what I'm doing if perhaps maybe by chance some of my fellow Jews might come to faith. So again, it's that sense of doubt. And if you're reading it that way, that's always bothered me. In order that, if perchance, if by any means I may arrive at the resurrection from the dead. 
it sounds uncertain. It sounds like the whole thing now is thrown into possible doubt. Like maybe there might be something missing and on arrival day, you might miss the bus. You know, or might get there and realize you left your airline ticket at home. If, listen, please understand, doubt is not in the lexicon of Paul. However, what he does here in this phrase, in this sentence, is hold two conditional implications for or of our future resurrection from the dead. Two things that he's implying that he wants his Philippian friends to know and us by extension. Number one, that our future resurrection from the dead requires that we be conformed to Christ's death. Now see, in in the Greek construction of this, that's what it's pinging off of. Being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I have to die to live. You have to die to live. That's the whole point. I have to die so that I can be born again so that I can then live and attain to or arrive at the resurrection from the dead. If I don't die to myself, I will not live in him. It's required. We must die to self. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It is required that we be conformed to his death, if we don't conform to his death, if we don't die to self, and are raised to walk in a newness of life, that is, be born again, then we will not arrive at the resurrection from the dead. But the second conditional implication of this statement regarding our future resurrection is that it inspires that we be confident to live Christ. It requires that we conform to his death. It inspires that we are confident to live for him. In other words, it's death required, life inspired. We are those who persevere in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings, having been conformed to his death. Paul is in essence saying in verse 11, I want to know Jesus if by any means I might arrive at the resurrection from the dead, we might say, by any means necessary, I will do whatever it takes to be there on that day. Realizing that Jesus already did everything that it took. So it's already a done deal. But for my part, I'm going to do everything that I can possibly do not to miss the bus. Will I miss the bus? No. But I'm not going to even take the chance. You see what he's saying? It's a motivational phrase that Paul is using. By any means necessary. And this is now where Paul goes in the rest of this chapter. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I am pressing on. I haven't obtained the resurrection from the dead. Obviously, I'm still walking around in flesh, Paul would say. And I haven't been perfected. But I'm pressing on. I am headed for that goal. How do I know when I have been 
perfected. Easy. You'll be resurrected. That's it. If you are still here, you haven't been perfected. Once you're dead, done. Once you're resurrected, absolutely. That's when we know. That's when the completion, the absolute perfection happens in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. Perfect. Man, I look forward to that day. The day of our perfection. Anyone here, let me just do a quick head count. Anyone here been resurrected from the dead? And I'm not talking you, you flatlined. I mean, you died, and you're now here tonight in your glorified body. Anyone? Okay, I didn't think so. And no offense, but from where I sit, I don't see it. I know, I know. Where you sit, you don't see it either. I get that. But I have been conformed to his death. Dying to self, alive in Christ, and even as I am being perfected, being sanctified, I will be perfected. I will be completely sanctified. The finishing work will be done. Uh, Going back to something we said on Sunday. I am already, and I'm not yet. I'm already saved, and I'm not yet there. I'm already sanctified, but I'm not yet fully sanctified. I'm already a saint, but not yet glorified. So all of that, we're in this amazing, wonderful dynamic. And so Paul says, understanding this twice, right here, with joyful encouragement, he says, I press on, verse 12. Verse 14, he says it again, I press on. Press on. It's a good Christian bumper sticker. What does it mean? I mean, what does it mean in practicality? I know spiritually we can throw that around. I'm pressing on, man. Okay. What does that look like? How do you do that? Let's blow the dust off of this one a little bit. And see what the word really means. It it is the word dioko in the Greek, and it literally is translated to run after. When Paul says, I press on. On, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I am running after Him. I am chasing Him down. I am following hard. I am in pursuit. That is to press on. It's to be on your feet. And running, man. Running. Matthew 4.18 Jesus said, while He was walking by the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Follow me. Dioko, press on, run after, is to follow after. Oh, not to follow slowly, you know, 20 yards back, but to follow in hot pursuit. Follow me. Is how Jesus called his disciples. Matthew 16, 24, he said, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Otherwise, there's going to be civil war, you know, between yourself and Jesus, who is who we are following. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. How do I press on? Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me. John 10.27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's what we do. It's how we press on. You do not press on without following hard after Jesus. That's the concept of the pressing on. I've heard Christians say, I'm pressing on. 
And they're showing up for Bible study once every six months. That doesn't seem like pressing on. Well, I read my Bible. When was the last time? Well, it's been a while, but I've read it. That's not pressing on. You all here tonight are pressing on. And I'm not trying to, you know... I guess I am encouraging you a little bit. Okay, This is the true fellowship. Don't worry, I'll take that off the recording. No, we are all pressing on. Pressing on is active. Pressing on is going after. Pressing on is not sitting back. It is following Him actively. After the resurrection, Jesus is there on the quiet shores of the Galilee. One of my favorite stories in all Scripture, many of you love the story in John 21 where where Jesus shows up and they're out there fishing and Peter jumps into the water and swims to shore and and the other guys row into shore and then they have breakfast with Jesus and Jesus tenderly and and firmly reinstates Peter by asking him, do you love me? Does it three times, just like the number of the denials of Peter. And then he prophesies to Peter of Peter's impending martyrdom. He tells Peter, you are going to go somewhere you don't want to go. And you are going to die a death that you would rather not die. You are going to be martyred for this. He, he kind of lays that out to Peter. And then he says to Peter, John twenty-one nineteen. this is at the very end, right before he would later ascend. He says, follow me. Same two words that he said to Peter when he first met him at the outset on the shores of the Galilee. Follow me, he said to Peter, and Peter became a disciple. And now, follow me, he says to Peter, and Peter becomes the apostle. A sent one, because he's following hard after Jesus. I love what happens next. Peter hears these words, and the Bible tells us, turning around, he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John. He looks back and sees John. And Peter says, well, what about him? Lord, what about this man? Jesus very wisely says, if I want him to remain until I come, what's it to you? You follow me. And Peter would. The rest of his life, right up to his death. I press on, Paul says. If you are to quote those words, speak those words, and act on those words, it means going where Jesus goes. It means you do what he did. You listen to his voice. You press on. He says, follow me. And I love the phraseology of verse 12. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Jesus already grabbed hold of me, now I'm grabbing on. Jesus has already got me, but I'm going to be sure I've got Him. You know, it's, it's that double hold. When I, when I baptize people, I have kind of a little system, a way that I do it. I hold their wrist, I have them hold my wrist, and then they can cover their nose so the water doesn't you know, drown them as they're coming up. But there's this double locking system. I've got them and they've got me. And that's what Paul is implying here. I am laying hold, I'm pressing on to lay hold of that which I was already laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I've yet to obtain my resurrection, but, and you might translate it this way, I run to apprehend what has already apprehended me. That's what the word means. Now, note this in verse 12. The word obtained is the Greek word lambano, and it just means to receive something. If you receive a gift, you would lambano that gift. 
Okay, so that's a simple word. I show you that, though, because the word lay hold of, it's a single word, and that is katalambano. Katalambano is to seize. Okay, a child at Christmas would probably more likely katalambano. You know, if you give him a brush and say, go fix your hair, that'd be more of a lambano. You know, I'll receive it. But you give a gift and it's something It's something that's seized. It's, it's like an officer apprehending a suspect. Or a runner gaining on an opponent. That's katalambano. And so when he says, I lay hold of that which I was already laid hold of, I am apprehending Christ, even though he already apprehended me. He already ran me down. There on the road to Damascus, Paul would say, but now I'm running him down. You get where he's going. What are you gaining on? What are you seizing upon? What are you running after in your life to apprehend? What is the thing that's got your passion, your attention, your drive? Now listen, as followers of Jesus, we are not to be a driven people. And yet there are things that drive us. As followers of Jesus, we are led, and yet at the same time, there is something of the passion of the heart that says from time to time, I am driven. I am driven by this. Oh, the Lord doesn't drive me, but I'm driving myself. The Lord leads me because He already apprehended me, but I am now going to drive myself. I want to be there. That's the attitude, the mentality, the passion that we're hearing in Paul as he writes to his Philippian friends. Jesus apprehended my resurrection. He seized upon it when He Himself conquered death. And now, He's holding my resurrection in trust. He's got it for me. He's just waiting for me to arrive. 1 Corinthians 15.20 tells us, Now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and after that, those who are Christ at his coming. And that is our promise. That's what Peter calls the living hope in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Our living hope, our promise, our guarantee. And I am running for the resurrection. And Paul says, I haven't taken hold of it yet, or I haven't taken it yet. But it has already been seized upon for me by Christ. One more picture of this. It's kind of like the ultimate anchor man on a track team. I used to run uh, the 